0: Hello and welcome to episode seven of UMTG Taps. I, I always say the number and then with like a kind of a inflection at the end, like, what number are we on? <laughs> So this is episode 7 of Yo! MTG Taps. This is Joey Pascoe. And Big Head Joe! Who just waved at the iPod. <laughs> I'm waving. I
1: dressed up for the podcast. That's a Mitch Hedberg joke. I can't take credit. But uh, So
0: uh, what we thought of today, uh, this should be a short episode, but who knows? We never really know. <laughs> um, we just wanted to go through... Uh, a kind of a top five, whatever, of the decade.
1: Yeah, I'm kind of resigned to the fact that this is actually the end of the decade.
0: Okay, cool. Um, so we're starting with top five sets of the decade.
1: Yeah, now the criteria for all of these lists aren't based on any sort of scientific fact. They're <laughs> just based on us sitting in the car jotting down lists before we hit record. So yeah. that's our criteria. Now, I mean, for the top five sets at least, Personally, I did mine from strictly a flavor standpoint, just kind of like what excited me um, about, you know, the sets and about, you know, magic in general at that time. So
0: my criteria and for most of these really are just my own, just my favorites that I liked for whatever reason. Like they, it didn't have to be any specific reason. I could have liked the flavor for one and the the mechanics in another. Um, so it just kind of, I just went top five sets that I liked.
1: Yeah. Well, it was kind of the same thing. I mean, flavor comes back to how much I like a set typically anyway. Right, right. I mean, sometimes it's like, man, that's a powerful set. Like, you know, Zendikar was on my list at first because, yeah. damn, that's a powerful set and it's fun <laughs> to play with, but it came off. But um, So you, what's your number five? My number five is M10. M10. Uh, M10 is my favorite because uh, I liked the introduction of the new cards in M10. Um, even though some of them were just renamed old cards. That was kind of a
0: problem for me.
1: But uh but still like I thought it was a really neat set and I've never been so excited for a core set before, M ten. I was like, Oh man, like I wanna go buy some packs of core set and I don't think I could say that before ever. Like like, oh, man, got to buy some packs of Corset. You know, like, it was kind of what it was like before. Now it was like, all right, yeah. core set, Exactly. Oh, man, I hope the store has M10 in, because I don't want to buy any of the new big set. Right. You know, it's like, when has that happened in the history of Magic?
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: You know? How about you?
0: Uh, my number five was Onslaught. I uh, I had a lot of fun playing Onslaught. It was the pretty much the introduction of the tribal theme. It was kind of the first set where they really focused on tribal. And it's not even that I like Tribal so much. I think they did Tribal about ten times better with Lorwen Block, but this was the first time they did it. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, I really just liked playing around that time. The, I remember playing Goblins and I also played Mono Black Control which had nothing to do with Tribal, um, but that was some of my favorite time in Magic. That was my number five. My number four is Ravnica, um, which was... See, we we actually kinda didn't play much during Invasion, so um, because we had just stopped at that point, right. so Ravnica was uh, was kind of the first multicolor set that I really played a lot of. In fact, I didn't even play that much of Ravnica, but I I played enough to know that I really liked the way they did things, the uh, the guilds and the way they separated it so that each guild had their own set. So like you wouldn't get Simic cards in Ravnica, and I guess when I say Ravnica, I I kind of mean Ravnica block, but. Ravnica being the big set, I'll, I'll just stick with that set.
1: Um, my number four would be um, Future Sight, hmm. and Future Ash. Future Sight because, and this is the thing with Future Sight, I can't tell you another set that I have like referenced back more since it came out than Future Sight. Every time spoilers start happening oh, for a yeah. new set. I start scouring the future site lists going, I wonder if they 're going to reprint any of these future shifted cards in the new set and i 'm always going through and like and and it is, oh, there's all there 's so much there to discover in terms of like th- flavor and themes uh, there 's just so much there and, and and I feel like it was such a rich set that they came up with and there so many ideas, maybe too many to some, but to me it was like. Here's a glimpse at what could be, and right. I thought that was really cool. And you know, it's going to be even cooler when they reprint Tarmogoyf in Worldwake. Yeah, uh, because that'd be nice. <laughs> then I'll be able to afford a playset of them. Here's here's hoping. You know, if I say it enough times, maybe it'll come true. It's true. Um, and hopefully, they'll also reprint alongside of its Flogger Boss because it's probably one of the greatest cards ever. But anyway, I want to run my Steamflogger boss Moriok Rigger deck. But anyway, my number three is Time Spiral. And uh, Time Spiral, uh, because of the nostalgic uh, value, Um, the uh, the time-shifted cards were a blast, and um, it was a lot of fun opening a pack and pulling an old, bordered, old, card out of the back of your pack, you know, that was just a riot to me. Getting that extra card. And I mean it was in addition to your rare. You know what I mean? Like I can't remember how it worked like if there was a foil you got like three rares <laughs> yeah, in you some get packs. A Time
0: shifted a foil rare and a regular rare.
1: Right. It was a riot, you know, it was a lot of fun. It was cool. I loved it. But anyway I, I loved it too.
0: But my number three is M ten. So uh the things that you said about M10 totally apply. Uh, I like that there were new cards in the core set. I like that the core set is black bordered. Um, I liked that they went back to like a very basic general fantasy flavor, like the original fantasy flavor of Magic wasn't so focused and detailed in these specific worlds. It was just kind of like, oh, here's uh, Dominia, and in Dom- 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 Dominia, Dom- well, there's Dimi- there was Dominia and Dominaria. I think Dominaria is a plane, and I think they said at one point Dominia was the whole universe. I don't know. They were definitely both, and you can I, you can kind of Google or Wikipedia those and see if you can figure out what the damn difference is, but <laughs> they definitely had uh, both words, both terms were there uh, in the early sets. You don't really hear about
1: Dominia anymore. It was a typo that they had to, like, justify for five years. Pretty much. It's the universe <laughs> that uh, where cards happen. <laughs> right. But, uh, so, uh,
0: but, yeah, M10 was fantastic. Uh, I, I loved the, the flavor. I loved the new cards. So my number two, is that what we're going mm-hmm. to? Your uh, number, t- number, number two. My number
1: two. Your number two. I've watched a lot of Beavis and Butthead. <laughs> <laughs> number, two. <laughs> said-
0: number two. My number fav- two, my second favorite. Of the year of the decade, is torment. Uh, I thought that was it was a neat idea for them to actually focus on one color, um, which they really haven't done since. I don't know if they thought it was a bad idea or or what. I mean, I know mono black control kind of uh, reared its head at that point. Which I mean, what do you expect if it if a set is focused around one color? Um, and, and it's not to say that there weren't any other cards of any other color, but it, it was just a great set, and it was a lot of fun. I really liked that.
1: I'm going to flip my number two and number one, just okay. so we can uh, keep talking about Torment. Right. Torment was so much fun. I can't tell you the... Just how awesome I thought that set was when it came out, cracking box after box of Torment, just, like, sticking my huge pile of black cards up. (laughs) I was like, well, I guess I'm, I'm like, I'm like, well, if I buy two boxes of Torment, I guess I'm playing Mono Black. Amen, brother. (laughs) And, like, was, uh, I was running, um, Zombies. I built my Zombie Tribal deck at the time, back then, which was one of my favorite decks ever, which turned into my EDH deck that I'm obsessed with that I never play because nobody ever wants to play EDH. So my number two is Torment. Uh, I thought it was really great. Nice dark flavor. And adding to the flavor was the book. Yeah, the book was very good. The book was the best novel uh, as far as... Okay, I'm going to keep Joe from jumping down my throat about Brothers War. um, (laughs) Because, yes, Brothers War was incredible. But Torment was one of the best books related directly to a set, Mm -hmm. I feel, of all the books. It was just a lot of fun to read. It was the characters were cool. And I got into all the characters and everything in Torment. I just got into that set so Mm -hmm. much. And um, what can I say? It was a lot of fun to play. It was a lot of fun to uh, read about. It was a lot of fun to think about in general. Um,
0: Now your number one.
1: My number one is Mirrodin.
0: Ah, oh, interesting.
1: And uh, the reason why is because for me, Miradin was a whole new world, and that sounds corny, but like it was. It wasn't just a new plane that we were on in mm-hmm. in Magic. The cards changed. The 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 design of the cards changed the flavor of the whole friggin game changed the cards changed everything kind of got this like cold feel to it you know what i mean like yeah. like the art the color of artifacts changed you know what i mean they were still colorless technically but the color of the cards changed and and the artifacts became more powerful and they were metallic as the you know, the card color indicated. You know yeah. what I mean? Like
0: That's I, actually one of the things I didn't like about Mirrodin. I, I still wish artifacts were brown. Because when I think of artifacts, I'm thinking of artifacts being like, not like some, I don't really call a car an artifact. Like, <laughs> I think of an artifact as being something old, like, that was dug up or excavated or just... And that neat, that's why I liked that it was brown, that artifacts were brown. It was like, here's this old you know, Skull of Orm, that, uh right. you know, it's not, what the hell, would Skull of Orm be an artifact now? Nah, I mean, it, it is an artifact, if they were to reprint it. What, would it be metal? Like, it doesn't, to I, me, I don't like that. I I, don't, I,
1: I, I see what you're, where you're coming from with that, but at the same time, not every artifact was necessarily old. Oh,
0: I, I understand, I mean, yeah, it's, but, but, it's semantics, but I just think it was kind of, uh. I just liked artifacts. Even the word artifact, to me, feels like it's an old word. Uh, you know, it, in, it kind of feels like it just goes side-by-side uh, side, side with, like, ancient and sure, you know, no, yeah. dusty and things. So, like, I, I don't really think of artifacts being gleaming metal.
1: No, um, it's true, it's true. I, I don't disagree with that at all. It fit with Mirrodin. Right, no, it did. And then sure, there are other sets where it fit less. <laughs> but I just liked the whole change like everything just changed mm-hmm. it was like next thing you know half your set is artifact and all this stuff looks different it was like yeah. a crazy kind of like whoever the hell decided to do that really had a like a nice beautiful set of balls on them and it was like <laughs>
0: gleaming metal balls.
1: gleaming metal balls it took <laughs> <laughs> to release a set like Miradin, and 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 I was I was excited when it happened. I mean, like yeah, like the the old fart in me was kind of like oh you know like like I was like oh why are they changing all this stuff? They're changing all this stuff at once. But at the same time, it was like oh, shit. I'm not going to stop playing because they changed all this stuff. I might as well keep playing. And you know, I thought it was great. I don't know. I just something about how radical of a change. Mirrodin was.
0: Yeah, it was definitely a shock to the system. Okay, so uh, my number one is Time Spiral. Um, and just in the, in the name of not too much repetition, I loved Time Spiral because I loved the nostalgia, just as you said. I love the idea, like, time travel is something I already like. Like, I'm just, I read, you know, books about time travel. I like movies about time travel. So, uh, anyway, Time Spiral is my number one and uh, i hope they find uh, some way to do something like that again i don't really know that they could but okay. so for uh for most powerful cards that's our next topic we're going to we're just going to do our whole lists
1: since i took two of yours mm-hmm. uh from the last lists mm-hmm. i'll let you do your list oh, you first. To, you want to do mine first okay
0: <laughs> all right so my top 5 favorite cards um did you say most powerful cards i said most powerful but Mine is just favorite cards uh, of the decade. Um, my number five, Troll Ascetic. Mm. Uh, that's just one of those cards. I feel like it's it embodies green. Um, it's and it can still be like kind of like a control player's card because it's a threat that can sit there and you don't need to worry about it because for the most part, it's uh, you know it's pretty much invulnerable to anything, um, including Day of Judgment. Too bad they didn't reprint Troll. I'd like to see that in M eleven. Uh, I don't know if it'll happen, but... Um, so that's that's my number five, Troll Ascetic. Um, he was cheap, too. It just cost three. He was, what, green, green, one, for a three, two, regenerating. Can't be targeted. Was he
1: double green, or was he green and two?
0: No, he was double green.
1: Okay. Definitely.
0: Uh, and he um, couldn't be targeted by spells or abilities controlled by your opponent, which was fantastic, because he came in the set with Mirrodin, in the set with Equipment, So uh, there was a lot of... Loxodon Warhammer action going on. Loxodon Warhammer. I was thinking Sword of Fire and Ice.
1: Nothing wrong with that either.
0: Sword of Light and Shadow. Although I I only use Sword
1: of Fire and Ice with him. Then Sword of Protection from Green that never existed. What? Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where was that sword? Sword Um, of Protection from Green. Sword of
0: Branches and Leaves or something. (laughs) 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 Um, My number four card was Teferi. From Time Spiral. I love that card. Uh, He had Flash. He gave all my creatures Flash. Um, Flash is my favorite ability. That's pretty clear to see why he was... uh, He's my number four. Uh, My number three, believe it or not, is Goblin Piledriver. Hmm. Even though he has protection from blue, and blue is my favorite, I love (laughs) Goblin Piledriver. I love that card. Uh, The art was fantastic. It's still some of my favorite art. Um a cheap creature that just beat the hell out of your opponent. Um, And before Tarmogoyf, I thought uh, Goblin Piledriver was, you know, one of the best two drops ever. I guess it's still one of the best two drops ever, in my opinion. Um, So that's my number three. Number two, Cryptic Command. Uh, Another heavy blue card. Uh, Cryptic Command I loved just because it was such a versatile tool. It could do so many different things, and I still don't feel like it was, you know, this broken card that so many people seem to think it was. I mean, it was a counterspell, uh, draw a card, you know, a counterspell, cantrip, or a, you know, bounce, or a fog. I mean, like, none of those things, I don't think any of those things are extremely powerful. The fact that they're all on one card does make the card extremely useful, but I don't feel like it's extremely... Uh, you know, overpowered or anything like that. So, um, and then uh, my number one is Vidalcan Shackles, which is, of course, my favorite card ever, so how could it not be in my top five? Um, I love stealing creatures. I like using other people's threats for my own. That way I don't need to play my own. Um, I could just focus on controlling, uh, controlling the game. So,
1: your turn. Cool. So I'm going to... Um... Switch my list up, because I had a list of most powerful cards, mm. so I'm going to change it now to my favorites okay. also, That's um, and I'm going to I'm gonna come up with some reasons for that, too. So, uh, I would say number five on my list of favorite cards in the last ten years would be Umazawa's Chite, oh, cool. and my reasoning for choosing that card is because... It was in the Rat's Nest pre-constructed deck, <laughs> and I remember just going to GameStop and buying a bunch of $5 theme decks and getting $20 cards in them. Um, I, I would just be like, man, I really want three Yumazawa's GTAs. I'll go spend 15 bucks real quick up the street yeah. and just pick them up, like, super cheap. And you could get as many... I remember I had, like, six of them at some point. So, anyway, um, I would say number... Uh, four on my list of five favorite cards would be Dark Depths. And I was obsessed with Dark Depths before it was cool to be obsessed with Dark (laughs) Depths. Um, That's what
0: they all say. I
1: had... I think I picked one up at a pre-release and I just couldn't find them for so long. Like, I remember like just digging through binder after binder of people's stuff looking for Dark Depths and could not find any. I've managed to pick up two Right? And I had two... At, at, like, what, a dollar? Yeah, like a dollar each. And then, like, once the Dark Depths Hex Mage combo deck came about... I turned around and sold my two Dark Depths for $50. Bucks. Um, so thank you, Dark Depths.
0: Um, yeah, I kind of am pissed off because I just wanted Dark Depths because I have the Merit Lage token, and I really, right. I wanted it for the flavor reason. I wanted it for the same reason you wanted it. It was like, well, you probably wanted to play it.
1: I, I wanted, wanted to find it. some way to play it, yeah. Right.
0: And I wanted it just to have in my binder next to the Merit Lage token because I just like, you know, I love the Cold Snap, uh, or I'm sorry, the Ice Age box storyline. And things, so I was like, "Oh, this is cool! I want this card because I have the token, and I just never happened to trade for one. I just figured it was one of those cards. Oh, I'll just get it whenever it's you know, it's a cheap card. It's you know, never, uh, never going to get any value. At least that's what I thought. So I guess I'm screwed out of the Dark Depths because I certainly don't care enough to to get it for more than five bucks. Actually, I don't even know if I pay five bucks for them because in my head, the value that I I attribute is all flavor value, and I'm not like." worried about that. So unless they somehow ban Hexmage, I don't care. <laughs> I'm not going to get him.
1: Fair enough. I would say number three on my list would be Baneslayer Angel. And n- not so much for the power and the sheer awesomeness of the creature, so much as it, the pursuit of a playset of Baneslayer Angels was a lot of fun. Okay, <laughs> I had a lot of fun trying to work out trades for Baneslayer Angels, like, and it was just like, oh god, I gotta get these, I gotta get these, I gotta get these, and I spent, like, weeks obsessing over getting a playset of them, and I got them, and then I had them for about two or three weeks and then sold them. Um, <laughs> but, uh, that's okay, Joe's happy about that. Um, number two on my list of five favorite cards is Wheel and Deal. And Wheel and Deal is the most terrible card ever printed in Magic but I use it to win games. Enough said. <laughs> Number 1 on my list is a Johnny Vengeant. Oh, so good. A Johnny Vengeant is just mostly because Keith hates it so much <laughs> and I love playing it against him because he gets this look on his face like, "Oh my god. Uh, what do you do with it?" This is like I kill all I his mean, lands. <laughs> But I know eventually. But does he realize lands. he
0: has several turns to deal with it before you play it? He does. Before but I, you do
1: that, when I can find a way to play that card, there is nothing cooler than setting that card down, sitting across from a deck where you know you've got the turns to make its ultimate go. You're yeah. like, oh, nobody. I know. I know what this person's playing. They have nothing to stop this card right now. <laughs> like, all right. And then you blow up their lands, and then they pick up all their cards. Like yeah. happened the other day. It was pretty great. Um, no, but I, I do like, I do, I mostly, you know, put a Johnny Vengeant number one on my list to aggravate Keith. Um, although I, I think that wheel and deal is probably my favorite card of the last 10 years because, you know, a Johnny Vengeant, you ult- that ultimate goes off. You should expect to win. When wheel and deal resolves, you don't you really expect ex- anything expect your opponent to shrug in right. most instances or be happy that you gave them seven cards but it would win games which was just fun but um so that's my list of favorite cards of the last decade
0: how about uh top five decks of the last decade do you want
1: to go yeah so favorite decks of the last decade for my list I kind of I put down the decks that just kind of made my jaw drop. Like, are you serious? This is happening? Like, oh my god, what? Like, no way. Like, just decks that made me just shocked to see them happen or to see them appear anywhere at all. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So, my number five is uh, Tep's The Extended Perfect Storm. Um, Because, I mean, it wins on turn one. It is just a powerful deck, and like... To see that deck resolve on you, you're like, come on, really? Are you... Oh my god. god, like, it's just like, you're powerless. I don't yeah. know, I think that's exciting in a way, it, kind it of is. counter-anticlimactic in a way. Yeah, it's... why did
0: I shuffle? Yeah, I know. <laughs> why did I even get my cards out?
1: <laughs> like, I would never run something like that. Quite well, it's just an interesting deck. But it is a very interesting deck to me. Number four was the Dragonstorm combo deck. Uh, that was... Uh, First appeared at Worlds 2007. Um, New York City. New York City, where we were. We were there, and I think that has a lot to do with it being in my list. But it was one of those decks that nobody expected to see, and it kind of just popped up and you know, almost won the whole damn thing. Yeah. And it was exciting to see that, and, you know, I guess that's a second combo deck on my list. Um, (laughs) number three, uh, speaking of combo decks on my list, would be Manilus Icarid. Um, (laughs) because when I looked at that deck list for the first time, which actually was not too long ago, um... I I I don't really play Vintage, so I don't really know anything that's going on in Vintage, you know? So Mm. I saw this list randomly on, like, deckcheck.net, and I was like, really? I looked at the list, I'm like, really? So I had to download it in Workstation and just, like, goldfish (laughs) it for, like, 20 minutes to go, what the hell? What the? Really? This is happening? (laughs) Like, this is getting me stuck? How am I? What? Like, it was just... (laughs) I was like, no, oh, this deck can't be real, you know. I, like, I
0: don't even know how that deck works. Like, what is it? Like, you gotta. I, I can't. Know. I'm not
1: gonna try to explain it right okay. now. <laughs> Just put it in workstation and have fun. Okay. Um, it revolves around like bizarre Baghdad and like things like that, um, and and dredge. It's, mm-hmm. it's basically a dredge deck. Okay. But with like four lands. Number two on my list is five color control and specifically five color control from when it hit standard with the reflecting pools and all that stuff and cruel ultimatums and cryptic commands. Because for me, five color control, and I'll get into this a little more later, for me five color control was kind of like kicking flavor in the crotch and, and, you know, I understand you want to win games, but to me it just seemed like, what, you're going to play that card and that card together and you have all this, somehow your mana is just making mana of any color? Like, that doesn't seem right.
0: Whenever I would think of a five-color deck, I would think, no chance I would try to run that. There's no way, like, it's consistent. Like, I can't, get st- I can't stand getting mana screwed as it is, and there's no chance that I'm going to play five colors because I'm going to just get color screwed somehow. And uh, so, like, for years you'd hear about, like, five-color decks... And I'd be like, "That's a deck I don't have any interest in playing uh and even when you know uh I think it first showed up as I think they called it the Ten Commandments because there were like a bunch of commands in the deck and then it was quick and toast or or at least those decks kind of showed up at the same time. I feel like the Ten Commandments deck kind of evolved into quick and toast, which is essentially five color control like Even then, I felt like that's a deck I have no interest in playing, but when I saw, like, how consistent it was with its mana base and why, I was like, wow, this this actually works. I'm not sure how, but it works. I'm going to play
1: it. (laughs) Yeah. And then number one on my top decks of the last decade is Fairies. And uh, the reason why is because it was one of the most Feared, hated, and played simultaneously decks that I think uh, we've ever seen. Um, it, it, it
0: no affinity, huh? I, th- I think I think affinity beats it in those categories, but
1: affinity. Yeah, okay. Affinity is is, is a pretty big one too. But my my list kind of
0: no, no, no like, I understand. I'm just uh, saying.
1: If, if I had yeah, if so, I had uh, thought of it, maybe it would have. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you just didn't think of it. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't really think of it, but fairies like. And it even—I mean—I don't know how quickly Affinity showed up in Extended. Yeah,
0: I don't know. But
1: because I don't—I wasn't paying attention to Extended at all back then. But like mm-hmm. Fairies, like showed up in Extended even. Mm-hmm. You know, although I've got to say that the growth of the Burn Willows Punishing Fire combo pretty much n- yeah. negates Fairies as a viable deck in Extended at all. Right. Terrible. Terrible. Like, once I saw that combo, I was like seriously, ooh, and I like <laughs> took all my fairies cards instead of trying to get rid of them. I was like, I was going to play that in extended, but Christ, this, that license plate says blazin. Yeah. B L A Z Z I N. What does blazin mean? I mean, I think they may have meant blazin, but they spelled it wrong. And now it's how their car is identified by their stupidity. That's excellent. I appreciate that a lot.
0: It's funny. Real, really quick. I, uh, for some reason, like last week on Twitter, people started mentioning. Uh, well, first Flores mentioned that he was reading The Hobbit, and he had like The Hobbit on his uh, on his blog. The uh, whole the whole cartoon of The Hobbit. Yeah. And um, and then I think someone else. Uh, I think it was Thomas Dodd, who I I follow on Twitter. He he posted some links to some uh, some Lord of the Rings stuff, and I was just like, wow, yeah, it, I do feel like for some reason I I just want to. I want to read Lord of the Rings or watch Lord of the Rings or something. I haven't read the books or watched the movies in a while. I'm kind of on this kick. And I go into the library last week and I see uh, a little display and it's got all the Tolkien books. And it says, Tolkien Day is January 3rd. I'm like, what? What? There's a Tolkien Day? (laughs) But even weirder, wow, Lord of the Rings is just kind of kicking me in the face. Right. And so I leave the library and I go uh, to drop my girlfriend off in her car, which is in the parking lot at the mall. Uh, I drop her off, and I start pulling out of the parking lot, and there's a car with a license plate, one ring. (laughs) I'm like, what the hell is going on? (laughs) What is it with all of a sudden all this Lord of the Rings stuff? I I wanted to take a picture, but I was driving, and it was Christmas time, mall traffic, and I'm like, "Uh, forget it. I'm not going to just stop and take a picture. So, anyway, so that was kind of interesting. Okay, so uh, my top five decks are kind of just based on the... uh, I had fun playing them, um, and, and they're actually in no particular order: um, Mono Black Control, Onslaught Block, uh, Odyssey and Onslaught Block, Flashback, Mutilate, Chainer's Edict, Innocent Blood. Like I have no creatures in my deck, so I'm just gonna you know kill you. I have Nantugo Shades in my sideboard, like that I never bring in because my deck works without it, without them. That, that actually, I feel like those Nantugo Shades never came in from the sideboard. Like I'm like, this is such a cool card. I never get to play it um goblins onslaught block uh or onslaught era, you know, standard still have that deck together um i mentioned both of those already when i those were part of the reason I liked onslaught block so much um fairies you mentioned, I just had a ton of fun playing that deck. it's flash creatures and counter spells, I mean, as soon as I saw them uh being spoiled when lore was coming out, I knew that that was the tribe I wanted to build. Uh, Mystical Teachings, another favorite mm. deck of mine, which, some of these I feel like I'm overlapping with our episode one. Yeah. Because, really, most of my favorite things have happened in the last decade, anyway. Um, Mystical Teachings, being able to just tutor up pretty much any answer in the deck. Um, and then, um, Pickles. Pickles was uh, a fun deck to play. Being able to play the uh, Brine Elemental combo with Vesuvan Shapeshifter, I really liked Vesuvan Shapeshifter as a card. It was again the nostalgia, reminding me of Vesuvan Doppelganger, and so I, I love that the combo with that deck and Brine Elemental, and just playing uh, control up until you lock the game down. Uh, that was actually one of the first decks I think I've ever played that was kind of had that sort of strategy where I'm going to lock you down. I'm going to make you tap out, or, you know, you're going to tap out, and I'm going to just lock you down entirely. Like, I, n- I never played the uh, the Stasis deck. Um, and I believe that was all five. Yeah. I'm trying to breeze through those. Sure, sure, sure. Um, so, uh, now we've got biggest changes. Now, this is a, l- a list we kind of came up with together, because I don't know that there were that many... I mean, there were a lot of changes, but were they all big changes? I don't know, but we uh, we kind of came up with this one. This is together, yeah.
1: So over the last 10 years of Magic, these are some of the biggest changes that have happened in Magic, and think about all of this stuff happening over the last 10 years. Think about what Magic's going to be in the next 10 years. That's a good point. You know what I mean? Like, Like, what the hell is this... What's going to happen to this game in the next 10 years? It just seems like... Totally crazy. So, yeah. biggest changes, in no particular order, would be the, um, the black-bordered corsets. Yes. Um, starting with 10th edition, they started making the corsets black-border, which right. was great.
0: Yeah, because nobody wants ugly white-bordered cards. Nobody does. Nope.
1: Um, except for me. Uh, <laughs> Depending uh, on the nostalgia of it. Yeah, but- I-, I like to run white-bordered versions of cards wherever I can. Um oh, okay. especially when it comes to basic lands, I like to run unlimited basic <laughs> lands. <laughs> the new card fronts. Um Yeah, the new card faces. Starting so. with Mirrodin, the card faces actually changed. it
0: started with uh 8th edition, which came out right before Mirrodin. Ah, oh, that's right. So uh but I mean it was right before Mirrodin, like you know, a couple months.
1: Right. And they right. W-
0: and 8th edition was white bordered, so Mirrodin was the first black black-border
1: set we got to see. Right, I but, forgot actually that uh, that the court that uh, the the card fronts changed with eighth edition. Um, the M ten rules changes were a huge change over yeah. the last ten years. The last major rules update was sixth, sixth edition, 19. and that was in like ninety nine, wasn't it? Or
0: it, uh, I was gonna say ninety seven, but. I could totally be wrong. Ninety fourth edition was 95, so I guess 97 would have been fifth edition. So yeah, 90, 99 should have been sixth edition. So you're
1: right. Roughly. So like 1999, so it was the first time the rules had changed in ten years. Yeah. Um, and a lot of those changes, uh, I think, were for the better. Yep. Um, even, you know, despite everyone's back and forth about it when they first happened, hmm. like, we've all had... You know, half a year to play with the changes, and they're good changes. Yeah, um, Wizards is a business, and the last thing they want to do is commit suicide. So they wouldn't implement a change if they thought it was going to destroy their product. I'm sure. I agree. So that and that's kind of how I look at every decision they make. It's like they're in this to make money and sell cards, and they're not going to sell cards if they put out terrible products and make terrible changes. Mm-hmm. So good on them. Keep it up. Um, the New cards in the core set was another one of the biggest changes. Um, And these both, you know, happened within the last year. Yeah. So it's kind of crazy. New cards in the core set was cool. I mean, we got Baneslayer Angel out of that. Um, Just allowed them to be a little more creative with with the core sets and to kind of, like you said before, you know, just let things be more basic and more flavorful Exactly. as a result. More fantasy-oriented and not so... Piecemeal from other sets. You right, know what I mean? Right. Like, it, it feels like a real cohesive set, and I can't wait to see what sort of things they're going to print in the core sets in the future. Yeah. It's like, really? We're going to get new cards every year?
0: Tarmogoyf, Path to Exile, Bane Slayer, Angel, Counterspell, Wheel and Deal. There you go. <laughs> Top five cards we want in the next core set. <laughs>
1: there was. Good quick list. Uh, I'll stand behind that list too. Um, and then the biggest change, number five, that wasn't the, the one, I guess, the one change that ultimately I feel wasn't that positive of a change. I, and, we'll, and we'll get into that, too. We will. Uh, were the um, pre-release changes. Um, yeah. When they basically took away the regional pre-releases in favor of smaller store-to-store pre-releases. Right. Um, which happened when? Do you remember?
0: Uh, didn't it... Was the first one for Shards? I can't remember. Because we've been going... We've been finding pre-release... Like, the regional pre-release...
1: since yeah. Since that happened, we, so, Yeah, but they changed the pre-release... I, I think it was Shards
0: was the first one, because... We went to a big pre-release for... Uh, for Morning Tide and Shad... We... I think we skipped Shadow more, but we went to, uh... Even Tide. Even Tide. So that was... I think that was the last... Actual big pre-release, because remember it was at, uh... What, University of Maryland or something? Um yeah and then the next pre release was shards, and it was in that tiny little room at shady Gr- university at Shady Grove
1: right, so right. I say
0: tiny little room, but it was way tinier than the room that we had been used to so um so yeah, so shards I think was the first uh pre release where that was implemented and uh I guess we'll talk about that in a second, but well, I, let's go I, right into it well, then. actually, I have one thing to add, which we I think both forgot one of the
1: changes, big changes,
0: yeah, what was just just the uh Introduction of planeswalkers. I think that's probably one of the best changes, and we both forgot it. Yeah, ever. that's
1: funny. That's um, yeah, we did forget. We kind of just took it for granted, I guess. Yeah,
0: like planeswalkers as a card type. I it's just I love every time we see a new planeswalker. It's like it's exciting. Nobody's like, ooh, a new instant," like, right? <laughs> but everybody's like, "Oh, a new planeswalker." You know, what is it going to do? Uh, they're they're inherently powerful right yeah. away because they're one card that have you know, probably three, maybe even four abilities, and they're, you know, they kind of just have such a major effect on the game, and I think they're even more powerful than a lot of people give them credit for, Um, just, they just sit there and kind of, if you don't deal with them, they continue to just give you an advantage, or if your opponent doesn't deal with them, you just have some sort of uh, repeated advantage, you know, discard every turn, or I'm going to draw a card every turn, or I'm going to... Keep one of your cards tapped, you know, something like that. So I just think that uh, that was one of the best changes of the decade. Um, Agreed. So now, uh, what do we have here, like you said, we were going to go into it. We have our top five disappointments, and and um, we we both have separate lists for this, although there, I think there's going to be some overlap here. Um, and because we we're just talking about the pre-releases, let's just go right into that.
1: Yeah. So, so. yeah. So. To us, okay, the the reasoning behind them getting rid of the regional pre-releases was they were trying to create, you know, little communities, like magic player communities. They were trying to build and strengthen existing communities of magic players and to bring them together to their local stores to play and to you know, discover a new set together.
0: And I think they were also trying to please the small shop owners who weren't running major pre-releases. You know, there were these, uh, you know, tournament organizers who were running these regional pre-releases, these big tournaments, and the little shops were being left out because they either couldn't or wouldn't, or I I don't know the details behind it. I guess there can't be, you know, ten large pre-releases in the same little area because none of them are going to draw... (laughs) Right. Any <laughs> kind of crowd. So, uh, and then what was happening was players were getting their new cards at the pre-releases, and then, then when you know the week later the the set comes out, and now the small shops are, aren't selling as many cards because players had gotten so many at the pre-release. Right. So, I understand those those reasonings,
1: but uh, here's here's my here's my uh, reason for not liking that change. To us. The regional pre-releases were their own element of our Magic community. Yeah. There are certain people that we only ever saw at regional events. Mm -hmm. People who we had been seeing for years at regional events. Because we would go to the regional events, and we would, like recognize people.
0: Yeah, be like, and, hey, I played you at uh, at the Eventide pre-release. You kicked my ass, you know? Right, like right. That. Or,
1: oh my God, it's Neil Loman again. You know right. what I mean? <laughs> like, like, thank God, you know, I don't see Neil Loman anymore. <laughs> and when the regional pre-releases were the thing, you could find Neil there too. You'd run into people who you didn't know played Magic
0: too. That was another thing. I ran into a guy from work and I was like, you play Magic? You know, like, didn't even know that you played Magic. That kind right. of thing. Uh, I
1: mean, we always had... We had our our magic community, you know, like, we went to our shop on their day to have tournaments, and we either played or traded with people. Right. You know, we had that. Like, there was no, like, to me it was kind of pointless to, like, try to, like, oh, why don't you go to your local store again? I'm like, but I don't want to. I I do that
0: every week. Right. Like, like, this doesn't seem special at all. Right. That was the thing. The pre-releases were special. You were looking forward to it you were like, oh, there's a new set coming out. I can't wait for the pre-release. And then it's like, oh, but um, they're going to be at your local store that you go to all the time. I mean, it was, like, neat. It was like road trip. You know, we'd have, yeah. like, oh, we have to drive an hour. And, you know, not that an hour's too far, and it's not, like, too close either. I'm sure I've definitely heard players saying they had, their closest pre-release was six hours away. Well, I don't know what the hell the problem is with that area, but, I mean... I'm sure six hours for a pre-release isn't the only problem you've got. <laughs> I, and in those cases, I, you know, I'm biased. I, we do live in a metropolitan area. But I think in those areas, maybe they uh, they should allow the local stores to have s- smaller pre-releases. I think maybe Wizards or the local stores or whoever has something to do with with that. I mean, maybe they need to look into things for those kinds of areas where the pre-releases are so far uh, in between, um, but in our case, you know, an hour drive to a pre-release is not a problem, an hour and 15 minutes, 45 minutes, whatever it happens to be, and that was special to us, it was like, we would look forward to it, you know, we still go to the the big pre-release in our area, which yes, is about an hour away, so we still actually have those things, but then when you get there, and, um, you know, you're in this cramped little room And everybody's sweating because it's like everybody's kind of crammed in a small room. They can't figure out how many players are going to be there because so many players are going to their local shops. It's like, it's hard to get an accurate count. I don't know. It just took away a lot of the reasons to look forward to
1: a pre-release. Although, like Joe just said, we still drive an hour every pre-release to go to a regional event. Right. Like... Thanks a lot, Wizards. Thanks for nothing. Your decision to create these store-wide pre-releases have done nothing for at least these two players right here. We do the same thing we've always done all these years because it's what we like, it's what we're used to, and it's what we're going to pretty much continue to do for as long as uh, there's a regional event to go to and the scheduling works out for us.
0: And and, uh, kind of on a semi-related topic... Recently, Kelly Reed from Quiet Speculation has been asking for some feedback on what makes a good store, and I'm hearing about other stores, and I'm like, wow, we don't have anything like that here. We have legends whose stock of singles is terrible, not organized, and overpriced, so about all three strikes that you could possibly have. Until
1: recently, they were selling packs of Zendikar and M10 for like $6 each.
0: Okay, so I didn't know that because, you know, I never go to the counter at Legends. You know why I don't buy anything at Legends? Because the stock is terrible, uh, unorganized, and overpriced. Like, I never buy anything there. And I don't want to support my local store because they're not really being very uh, market-friendly. They're
1: not supporting the players. They're not
0: supporting the players. We go in there, and whether we enter the tournament or not... You know, we want to hang out and play, uh, trade, and there's not a lot of room. Um, We'll be in the middle of a game, like a casual game, and the the FNM will end. Actually, FNM will get to top four, and they'll say, all right, um, if the top four decides to split, we'll give you your choice of Zendikar and M10 packs as prizes, but if you don't split, um, we're going to give you a Lara block. We're not going to give you M10. And so, of course, everybody wants M10 and Zendikar right now. So basically, of course, the top four says, all right, we'll split, and they say, "All right, stores closed. Everybody out." Um, it's 9:48, like on a Friday night. Really, we have to leave? This sucks. I just got here at 6:30. You know, like right. this is. I, I want to play cards. It's Friday. Like well, now, we've got to find another place to go. Uh, let's go to Subway. They at least close at what 11? 11. Um, things like we'll go to Subway and play. <laughs> like sit in a cramped booth. That's terrible. That's I think that's terrible for a shop. And our other choices, Waltz in Dundalk. That place is worse. Creepy. Not only creepy. The, the <laughs> guy that runs it is creepy. The only thing they have going for them is their stock of singles is organized and pretty well stocked. They're overpriced. Um, and I say overpriced because I'm just aware of internet prices. Because I have no problem ordering cards over the internet.
1: Well, let me let me be fair. <laughs> let me be fair, real quick, to Legends. Oh yeah, go um, ahead.
0: Legends has awesome people running
1: Legends. It. Yes, their stock is severely understocked as far as singles go, mm-hmm. but lately they've just been going by star city games okay so well. they so they're, so pretty much star city games prices are legends prices okay, so if you know so you know what i mean so 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 not like you would ever find a single card in their singles that you actually want and they have in stock for you to purchase, but if you do. It's mm-hmm. priced the same as Star City Games prices. Right.
0: The The thing with Legends is Randy and Rob are awesome people, and I just think that they maybe try to do too much because they've also opened a record store in the back of the comic shop that also happens to be a magic, you know, a game uh, store. So, like, they're trying to do way too much. They've got boxes and boxes of things everywhere. and The bathroom is dirty. You know, you kind of don't feel like... You, you know, I don't want to go in that bathroom, it's kind of gross, you know, things like that. They don't let you eat in there unless it's from the specific store next door, things like that. Like, I just feel like when I was reading about some other people's stores, they sound like awesome places that let people play cards there, especially on weekends, into the, you know, wee hours of the morning, um, and they make money that way, and because people are there, and maybe their their prices are reasonable, I, I mean, this is totally... A rant, but I don't know. While we were th- talking about local stores, that's one of the reasons I don't want to go to my local store for a pre-release. Right, right. Waltz is also about a quarter of the size of Legends, and I just said Legends was cramped. Waltz has what two tables, like, and what you're you're supposed to go in there and play? Like they can't even support more than eight players. So uh, and then. Recently, we've been playing at Amazing Spiral, which we have the mall area. Like, That's an important thing to me is feeling like I have space and I'm comfortable to play. Right. Not that I'm sweating or freezing, like when Legends had their game area in a garage in the back that had no heat or air conditioning. So here it is January, and we're all wearing our coats because we're freezing, basically just playing in a garage. I mean, it's it's changed since then, but I'm saying, like, where are the good stores around here?
1: Yeah, I mean, like uh, full disclosure, you know, I, I work one day a week at Amazing Spiral running tournaments and such. So, like, of course, I'm going to say good stuff about it. But I feel like we're really trying to cater to the players. You know what I mean? We're really mm-hmm. trying to build a player friendly atmosphere and trying to like nurture a new Magic community. Mm-hmm. You know, in, in in the in the spirit of what Wizards is trying to do with the local pre releases. You know, we're trying to do that in our store. You know, we're we're supplying singles. Yes, it's more, I guess it would be more profitable in the short term to just keep the packs of M10 sealed and sell them because they're flying off the shelves, you mm-hmm. know, because, yes, ladies and gentlemen, we have M10 packs and mm-hmm. singles. Um, but we opened some boxes and we priced up some singles as a service to our players, you know. It's like, we could sell these quickly to you and make the money, but we're kind of specializing, you know? It's like, yeah. cool, well, now you can, you know, if you just need one or two cards, you don't need to buy five packs to try to get them, you know? You can just go, okay, well, give me that card and that card, and that yeah. and that's that, you know? So we we're providing that so that, like, so so people can get more specific about what they need, right. you know? Like, and it's not so much like a... We're trying to make a ton of money off of this, although you know there is money in opening a Baneslayer Angel, you know, yeah. or opening a pack with a Sunpetal Grove and a Spoiled Sunpetal Grove in the same pack. <laughs> <laughs> that was so cool. I was there's nothing there's nothing cooler than getting paid to open packs of Magic cards. Yeah. I just have to say that right now.
0: Well, that, and that's what my next point was going to be was that part of the reason I think Amazing Spirals be like at the moment kind of successful in catering to players is because you're the one doing it and you're a player and you understand the frustration of going to a store who doesn't have singles or doesn't have packs or doesn't have sleeves and things like that when you go to the store and you're like, what's the point of me coming here? You don't have anything that I want to buy or or the ones you do have are maybe like more than I need to spend or more than I want to spend. Like you're gouging me because you're right in front of me and not, you know, through eBay or... Or uh, an internet uh, seller, retailer. So, anyway, rant over. I guess we we'll move on to our the continuation of our list.
1: Sure. Yeah. Okay. Let's, so, let's, let's to, move to disappointments. So, um, loss of regional pre-releases. I think we touched on that yeah, one pretty good. Yeah. Um, next disappointment. Um, Cold Snap. See, I liked Cold Snap. Everybody complains about Cold Snap. Loved Cold Snap. I liked Cold Snap too. I did. I thought Cold Snap was cool. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But at the same time, while I loved the flavor of Cold Snap, mm-hmm. I felt like it, uh, as a set and as car individual cards or whatever, mm-hmm. it just really underperformed. I just felt like there wasn't a lot of stuff in there that was very powerful right. or very good. I mean, there were, of course, a couple staples here and there. Mm-hmm. I mean, the Rune Snag was great. Yeah,
0: um, Orin Viper Scrying Sheets.
1: Counterbalance
0: still being used, Snow-Covered Lands. I think it's their follow-up to Cold Snap, which was a disappointment, which is that they put the set out there, which was essentially a standalone set because it, it was finishing a block from ten years earlier, but they didn't do anything to make those cards relevant in the following sets. Like, why not print Snow-Covered Lands in a core set? Because what's the problem? Like, why not print Snow-Covered Lands in M11? Like, they don't really function any differently than Basic Lands... For any other cards that don't have snow, on they
1: but they're actually and, and for correct me if I'm wrong, but they're not legal in well, standard.
0: That's what I'm saying. Make them legal and standard. That way, they can maybe print some cards that make those relevant. I'm saying that cold snap was awesome, and they didn't follow it up in a way that I felt like was uh, was satisfying. I wish they would have integrated them, even however, just slightly integrate them into the. Um, into the core sets. Right. Or in, in, into another set. Like, what, there's no snow on car. I mean, really? I mean, maybe there's not. But I'm saying, is there all these other planes we're going to, no winter there. You know, like, you know you can have snow in other places. It doesn't have to be Dominaria. Like, snow is kind of one of those weather elements that applies anywhere. <laughs> so, I mean, pretty much. So, I just think that they could have done a better job of integrating those themes into later sets, and maybe they will, but they haven't yet, and I think that's one of the thing my complaints about Cold Snap, but the set itself, I liked.
1: Well, I thought it was yeah. cool, I thought it was a lot of fun for myself, but like, it just didn't deliver the way that I really wanted it to, or expected okay. it to, or like, or, or like you said, it just wasn't supported enough, I guess, mm. you know, like, it kind of was ultimately a disappointment to me. I don't know. Okay, What else do you have? Um... We both have this one?
0: We do both have Legions. Legions. one of our disappointments. Uh, it seemed like such a neat idea. It's an all-creature set. But it was terrible. All crappy creatures. Yeah, terrible creatures. <laughs> here's a set with terrible creatures. Want it? No. Um, here's one that is kind of... It bothers me. I'm not sure how much other people care about it. But the... Um, and these are related. It's kind of like two things. One is that the uh, the style guide, which... They did go ahead and, and kind of print a version of it last year, the Planeswalker's Guide to Alara, um, that I guess it didn't sell very well because they didn't repeat it with Zendikar. Um, I had been kind of... I had sent the question in to Ask Wizards more than one time, saying, hey, is there any chance that we'll ever see a style guide printed? Um, they eventually answered me. I had also spoken to Jeremy Jarvis through the MTG Salvation forums and uh about the style guide and he said that he would kind of bring up that idea and eventually it showed up as a question of the uh question of the week or something like that on or a survey on the main site about would players like to see a style guide. So like I was pretty excited feeling like I had some kind of influence on on whether this style guide was going to be printed. Um what they ended up doing with it I wasn't really happy entirely with. It still was neat Um, The Planeswalker's Guide to Alara. They kind of, they kind of made it into like this fantasy-themed thing. It wasn't as much a printing of the style guide as I wanted. I want to see the sketches that the artists send in. I want to see you know like they have on Magic Arcana um, you know sketches. They say, okay, here's what we asked for, and here's what he sent us, and we picked this, and here's what the finished card looks like. That's what I wanted to see. Things like that. I wanted to see here's the style guide, and here's our notes, you know, look, you know, the Vidalkin have these features, and blue skin, and all the elves on Lorwyn have horns, and things like that, I wanted to see those kinds of things, not laid out as if I was some sort of planeswalker, I just wanted them to say, here's an art book that accompanies these, uh, these magic cards that have awesome art. Uh, Other, other, uh, what is it, other properties, I guess. Other properties have done it. Dungeons and Dragons and uh, World of Warcraft. I have, like, two World of Warcraft art books. I don't even play World of Warcraft. (laughs) I just like the art books. Yeah, Adam gave them to me. But but I like them. I I think they're neat. Like, I like to look through and look at the art. Um, So I wish they would do something like that for Magic. They kind of did, and apparently it didn't sell very well, and so I'm disappointed in that. And now going hand-in-hand with that is how they changed the novel structure. As I've said before, I I would read the novels when they came out. I was excited because that was part of the excitement of the set. It was like, here comes, you know, it's summertime, fall is coming, the novel comes out in the beginning of September, we're getting previews right around now, the uh, pre-release is at the end of September, and we're going to go and everything, and it's like, hey, we're going to take away the big pre-releases. Also, we're going to take away the novel and print it at the end of the block when nobody's excited about it anymore. Like, Alara Reborn came out, and I read it, I mean, I can't, I'm not going to lie, and it was decent. Yeah, Alara Unbroken. Came out alongside Alara Reborn. Um, I read it. It was decent. I do like the idea of them kind of compacting three novels into one because it kind of makes things move faster, but I just, I really, I would look forward every year to the new novel for the new block every fall. Um you know because it was kind of my first taste of what that block was going to offer us flavor wise it didn't tell me any cards in there i didn't be I wasn't like ooh there's going to be cryptic command when i read the Nor- Lorwyn novel you know it was just uh it was just something i really looked forward to and they took it away and now i don't really feel like i look forward to the um the block novels anywhere near as much because by the time it comes out i'm already looking forward to what's coming next like all right, uh, M eleven. By the time the novel comes out for Zendikar block, M 11s going to be right around the corner. That's what I'm going to be excited about. I'll probably read the novel, or more likely, I'll buy it and it might sit in my sit on my shelf for a few months and eventually I'll read it, something like that. But um, it's just kind of crummy that they took that away. So that, that's one of my disappointments.
1: I agree. You know, because I don't even I don't even read the novels anymore. <laughs> I don't. I don't even read them anymore. What's the, okay, the Purifying Fire was the newest one.
0: Now, see, those... These are, like, standalone novels. The, the Purifying Fire and Agents of Artifice, those kind of came without sets. And those, I think, are fine. Like, First one
1: was hardcover. Second one was soft cover, Right, for whatever reason, I okay. get, Yeah, like,
0: they released Agents of Artifice in a hardcover,
1: and then Purifying I Fire... I feel like they're out. trying to consciously, like, get rid of all novels about magic. Because, like... They're making me not interested in them. Like, I don't care anymore. Like, I mean, like, if you're going to put out a special standalone frickin' book, can you at least not have any typos on the front or back cover of the book?
0: Yeah, that's pretty terrible. Who
1: edits these books? I mean, all, uh, over all these years, when they would put out a novel for each set, they were coming out kind of fast... I let the typos slide. Mm-hmm. Okay? I let them slide. I was like, no, the stories are cool. I'm gonna read these stories. They're exciting to me. Now they put out one novel a year and they can't get they can't get the spelling right of words on In the cover. On the back cover? <laughs> they, they, really? I mean, it makes me so angry. I'm like no, 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 no. Look, if you're gonna put out one novel a year, okay? You get things right. You spell them right. You put the punctuation where it belongs. <laughs> I'm available to edit books. I'm a fantastic editor. I notice all of the errors in all of your books for the last ten years. I've noticed all of them, okay? Not not one error has gotten past me. So, Wizards, if you're looking for an editor for your novels in the future, um, someone who is going to, I don't know, edit them... actually care about actually care and actually edit them holler at your boy okay because i'm just sick of i mean like i look at it i'm like oh purifying fire that could be interesting and i look at the back cover and i'm like oh there's a typo i'm not buying it (laughs) yeah i'm as simple as that i'm like oh there's a typo on the back cover no way not buying it not paying for it no
0: yeah, I did they did exactly that. I was like, oh here's the Chandra novel. I don't really care that much about Chandra, but maybe I'll read it. And I looked at it, read the back cover, and did the same thing. Went, there's a typo on the freaking back cover.
1: So that's good. Uh good I have a couple more here. Um Five Color Control <laughs> is on my disappointments list and on my top decks list. Right. Um I mean just just briefly. From a flavor standpoint. It shouldn't have been that easy to cast. It shouldn't have been that easy to cast a spell that requires three blue and a spell that requires four green in the same deck.
0: And Cryptic, I mean, yeah, Core Ultimatum and... Yeah. uh, Yeah. They might as well all cost colorless.
1: Yeah, colorless. I was like, what's the damn point of printing five colors of cards if you can just cast anything? Right. Agreed. Um, And then my other biggest disappointment of the last ten years is net decking in general. Um, whereas, I mean, and, and, and while I've softened on that a little bit mm-hmm. over the last year or two, I would say, I've softened on it a lot. I'll play net decks once in a while and um, and I'll definitely look at, at decks on the internet for inspiration to build decks that I build, even if there is some sort of rogue element to it. There's always some element of, of a net deck in there, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but overall... Over the last 10 years, the concept of going online, looking at a deck list, taking the cards from your collection and putting them together in that deck list, and then going to a tournament without any sort of thought and winning the tournament makes me angry. It's like, don't steal decks. It's like, but do steal decks. I mean, you know, it, 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 it's a. I
0: I sort of understand what you're saying, although I feel like you've... Like you've said, you've kind of changed your opinion recently. I have. Uh, I,
1: I've I've softened on it a lot, but over the last ten years, mm-hmm. net decks have disappointed me, I think, more than Cold Snap, Legions, Five Color Control, or the loss of regional pre-releases.
0: Interesting.
1: Like, building a deck, working my ass off to build a deck that I think is good, and then sitting across from, like, some ten-year-old who grabbed a list off the internet and, like, wins because it's the it's better... A
0: technically a better deck.
1: It's a better deck, but it's, you know... There's oh, no effort it's frustrating. in it. It's right. just like I don't
0: know. I understand that. I have two more disappointments. Okay. Um, one is mythic rares. Mm, very good. I understand the business uh strategy behind it. I just don't like it as a player. I just don't like the variance. Um, I don't like you know, feeling like I'm gonna buy a case of of cards. I should get four of every card. <laughs> but there's a good chance with Mythic Rares that I won't, and I don't like that at all. It's like, I just spent that much money, I bought all this, all these cards, and I didn't even get four copies of everything. That's just irritating as a player. I just don't like Mythic Rares as a concept. I don't really think they're going to change anything. And as from what I understand with the numbers, technically Mythic Rares are no rarer than old regular rares used to be in the bigger sets because set sizes have changed. So... I don't know. It still was a disappointment to me. But lastly is uh, MTGO, Mm. one of my biggest disappointments. That's something that I think is so awesome, I just don't like the way they've done it. I've never played MTGO, and it's my biggest disappointment of the last ten years. You know why I've never played MTGO? Because uh, I don't like the way it's set up. I don't like paying the same amount or even more for digital cards that I've already purchased in paper. I don't like that. That's not how like iTunes works. Like the other digital, successful digital uh, properties. Although that is things. how
1: Kindle works.
0: That is how Kindle works. And you know what? I don't have a Kindle. And I'm yeah. not buying a Kindle because of the same reason. Yeah. I have this book. Why do I need to pay for a digital version of it? I have this CD. I can import into my iTunes. And now I have it, a digital version. That's great. I didn't need to buy it again. I don't wanna buy my buy everything twice. I I don't like having to buy things twice and I think that's a terrible setup. Apparently it's successful though, so I really can't uh you know, I can't expect them to change that, but that is a disappointment. That was a huge disappointment when I heard about it.
1: Not to mention that they don't uh it doesn't support uh Mac.
0: Right, and that's another thing. That's another one of my complaints is that it's just it's Windows only. You realize like a lot of players, especially people our age I think are own Macs, and yes, I could run Windows on a Mac, so I could run uh, Magic Online. But I'm not doing that. I, I'm not. That's too much work. That's too much. I'm not running an entire other operating system so I can run one program that I already
1: that you can play in paper that I can form. play in
0: paper form and <laughs> already own all the cards for. And uh, so it's like, it's like it's got strikes against it at every turn, and then it looks terrible. The rendering of the uh, of the text is terrible. Now these are things that I think they're fixing. From what I've seen of the previews that they may uh, that they that are in the works, I'm not sure when they're ever going to come out. Those look pretty cool. It looks like it's going to run in a browser, which means it would run on all platforms. Um, the the text rendering, the cards look beautiful. Uh, it's you know that that's important to me. I got into the game for the art. Right. I don't want to play it online and look at you know the art i think it looks okay but the text looks terrible and i i just it's too aesthetically unappealing to me and then uh you know they're not going to fix their little uh situation with the with the packs costing the same amount but um you know i guess i can't expect them to if it's been successful so far but i really wish that they had some sort of version that players could could pay um, fifteen bucks a month. I think that's how much World of Warcraft costs, or at least it did a few years ago. It might have gone up to seventeen dollars a month or twenty dollars a month, whatever. I'll pay twenty dollars a month if I can have, I can get online and have access to all the cards and have it look nice. And I can't enter any tournaments. It's all casual. I don't, ha- I can't win anything there. Like I'm fine with that. I'm fine with going online and playing, in, uh, you know, tournaments that have no prizes, just for fun. Like, I, you know, you don't pay to enter in the tournament. You don't get any prizes, you just get on there to practice and play, and it's just you know we could get online, we'd have access to every card, like I said, you just pay twenty bucks a month or something, a subscription fee to
1: have, or they could have you know you know what you know what else they could do? I just thought of this off the top of my head because I was about to say, "Oh, you can do that, Joe. It's called workstation, and it's free, yeah, but um, <laughs> maybe they would like to make some money off of it don't you think up- that they would yeah, don't you think that wizards, if they're like so like up in arms about, like, trying to, like, stop things like Workstation and Apprentice. Yeah. Don't you think they would come up with some sort of element of that for themselves? They should. Like, here's here's what what they should do. They should split Magic Online into casual and competitive Magic Online. Casual Magic Online. You pay a set fee every month. You have unlimited access to the cards. You cannot participate in any sort of prize-based tournaments. You may play in other tournaments. Right but not anything involving prizes, no trading, nothing like that. You know what I mean? Just so a You wouldn't s-
0: need to trade. Right, exactly. It
1: exactly, but I'm just saying, like, there's no way to make money off of it mm-hmm. for the individual who's paying the flat fee. Exactly. And then you can have a separate competitive format in the exact same vein that they have now. I would pay $15 a month and stop using Workstation. Absolutely, you wouldn't need to use Workstation. It, right, because I would have Magic Online. Right. Exactly. i w i'm glad i'm happy to use like licensed products if the licensed product makes sense to R- me to right. use exactly and if and if they did something like that like, just cut out all the prizes, just like, here's a way for you to play online for fun with your friends without having to leave the friggin' house, and you pay us a little bit of money each month, and you have yeah. access to this program. I would totally do that. Yep. I would do that. I would, I, would, I, would, I would delete Workstation from my computer in a heartbeat. Yeah. But they don't have that, so guess what? Next time I want to play Joe online at, like, 2 in the morning, I'm getting on Workstation. Exactly. And I'm playing for free. And Wizards, you can kiss my ass about it because that's <laughs> the way it works. You've set it up that way. So, anyway, enough about so, that. I yeah, guess. that was good. I'm glad we agree on the disappointments. That- so, we were going to end on disappointments in the original lineup, mm-hmm. but we figure we'd do it on a more positive note. So, we're actually going to end our discussion today with the five best events
0: or of, or moments, either events or moments in those events.
1: Moments or events of the last ten years, um, and Joe is way more, uh, at least for some of the specific pro tour event things, he knows a little more about that than I do. Although, the ones he mentioned to me earlier, I like actually knew about. Actually, all these are really recently. Um, they are. I mean, I'm looking at your list right now, and right.
0: The one one that I would think of that's not on the list. It actually didn't make the cut because it doesn't go back ten years. It's like ten years and three months or something. It was uh, Pro Tour Chicago 1999, Bob Maher versus Brian Davis. That's Mm. one of my favorite events. It's my favorite uh, match to watch. I I watch it repeatedly every few months. It's really cool. Uh, But that was in the end of 99, so technically it wasn't uh, in the decade. It needed to be in 2000 or later. So um, Let's see. First, and uh, actually, we have five but I think 5 and 4 kind of go together, and I, I added this one after we mentioned it, but the Zendikar pre-release and the Time Spiral pre-release, because they both kind of had the same feel to them, what old card could I possibly get in this pack? Um, they're obviously not Pro Tours, but everybody experienced that Zendikar pre-release. It was like, am I going to open a Priceless Treasure? Did somebody open one? Who opened one? I just heard somebody cheer. What did they get? What did they get? You know, that was great. The Time Spiral was the same way, although I liked it even more. Because everybody was going, oh, my God, it just opened Desolation Giant or, like, whatever. (laughs) You know, like, these are old cards. Oh, Psionic Blast. You know, it was fantastic. That was so exciting. Um, It wasn't just, here are the cards you're getting from the set. You're already excited because you might have opened, uh, you know, a card that you were excited about. But you opened an old card that you used to be excited about. Mm -hmm. Um, So those were, you know... Two of of my top five, I guess maybe your top five events here um, in the last decade. Um, I
1: agree with everything you say.
0: Awesome. <laughs> um, then uh, I have Pro Tour Kyoto where uh, Nasif won. He uh, the moment in that uh, in the top eight was kind of interesting. I think it was the quarterfinals when he. Seemed like he was pretty much about to lose. I think it was game five, may have been game four, but but I think whatever it was, I think it would have knocked him out of the uh, out of the tournament. And basically, he needed a top deck something like cruel ultimatum to win. But uh, I think he had some other outs. But the thing that was interesting is his opponent says, "I'm going to end my turn," and the thief says, "Okay," and he untaps. But before he draws, he starts separating his lands and he says, "I'm getting my ultimatum mana ready," and he. Peels his card off the top, and it's cruel ultimatum as if he knew it was there, um, and and that was just great. I love the uh, you know the called shot, you know he calls it, and uh, and of course I can't go without mentioning the other tournament Pro Tour Honolulu in 2006, I believe. Uh, Craig Jones is playing it was kind of uh, zoo based decks. It was in standard at the time. He, he's kind of you can see he's got he's pretty much dead on board, but he plays his last. Turn or his opponent's last turn, as if his top card is Lightning Helix because that's his only out. Like the only possible way that he could uh, could win the game is if Lightning Helix is the card on top of his deck. And so he he burns his opponent at the end of turn, end of his opponent's turn, untaps, draws off the top, and it's Lightning Helix. And you can see the video on uh, online and Randy Bueller going Lightning Helix! Oh my God! Lightning Helix! So. <laughs> kind of flipping out. Um, But it was pretty exciting, so I can't not mention that. And then our number one event, New York City Worlds 2007. Uh, It was the first pro tour we ever went to. It happened to also be Worlds. We met Tom from Monday Night Magic and stayed with him. Um, It was just a fun weekend overall. The uh, the Dragon Storm deck kind of showed up out of nowhere, designed by Nassif and uh, Pat Chapin and... It, that was really exciting at the time they made the top 8 and had to face against each other um and in that uh in that match had one of the other huge moments in pro tour history when um i, I was it I, now i'm tr- i'm mixing up which one did what but one of them played ignite memories for five like five copies of ignite memories ignite memories is um
1: Reveal a card at random from your hand, and your opponent takes damage equal to that card's converted mana cost?
0: It's, some, it's not your opponent, but like if, I, if I cast it against you, you reveal a card at random from your hand, and you take damage equal to its mana cost. Okay. Chapin is the one who won that match and went to the finals, but I feel like Nasif is the one who survived through five copies of Ignite Memories. So five copies of it are on the stack, and he's at like less than ten life, I think. And basically, like, every copy revealed something that cost, like, one or two. It was, like, basically the only way he could have possibly survived, you know, out of, like, the cards in his hand. And he managed to survive, and the next turn he went off with his Dragon Storm combo and killed Chapin. But, unfortunately, I think they went into the Game 5 and... And Chapin won. Right. Um, I say unfortunately, I guess unfortunately for him, but right. it, it, it was just an awesome match. And that's one I still love to watch, another favorite of mine. Um, that tournament was awesome. It was won by Yuri Peleg of Israel with a Doran Rock deck, which sort of was anticlimactic with all the uh,
1: hype about, dra- about Dragonstorm Storm
0: deck. Um,
1: but, oh Yeah, well. even talking about it before we started recording this podcast, I'm like, Dragonstorm won, right? He's <laughs> like, no, uh, Dragonstorm came in second. I'm like,
0: oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, Dragonstorm was really the story of that tournament, and um, and especially that match between Nasif and Chapin, who designed the deck together, uh, with the help of some others. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I just can't remember who else. Um, and we were there. That was what was also fantastic. Just you know, being there at Worlds in New York. Uh, it was a great weekend, and I think I somehow managed to spend that entire weekend like 105 bucks. Including the hotel, which was actually a, a hostel,
1: hostel. <laughs> um, cat urine soaked hostel, exactly. as Tom likes to put it. Yeah, um, <laughs> it
0: was pretty awesome.
1: I mean, going to New York,
0: it was like a bus ticket and plus the hostel, plus the food that I bought. It was like we ate at pretzel stands. <laughs> like that was, we ate at a pizza shop.
1: Oh, I, well, no, 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 no. I went. Somewhere. I went to an Irish pub. and like like we got there, and I so I so I went and like. Was drinking, I think, Bloody Marys and like and and eating like some sort of awesome food. I don't even remember what the hell I had, but it was good. It was good food. Had some good drinks, and I was pretty loaded by the afternoon. It was excellent. That was a that was a fun uh, a fun weekend. That was a, a little a little crazier for me than everyone else involved. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but it was a good time, regardless, and I still look at it as the. Single-handedly, the coolest damn magic event that we've ever been to. You know,
0: now I just realized that we went to nationals in
1: 2007. We did. I mean, it wasn't
0: as cool as Worlds, but we could have at least mentioned it. We did go guy. to nationals, uh, yeah, and
1: sure. I remember uh, nationals in Baltimore. And the 2007. guy who uh, had who was the guy that had that deck—the blue, white, and red, white, and blue—it was an
0: either mage just touch deck, but I can't remember the guy's name.
1: But I remember, um, like, I was building that deck, and I remember smoking cigarettes with him. Yeah. And him, uh, and him giving me advice on on that deck.
0: Yeah, he was in the top eight. Yeah, his.
1: he made it the final match.
0: That's right. He, yeah, he, and lost, I think he in lost the lost final to match. LSV, I think. Didn't LSV win nationals that year? Pretty sure he did.
1: That was LSV, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, With
0: his, uh, he had that Arcanist Omnipotent deck. It was like um... that's a riot. Yeah. So that was that was pretty cool. I didn't even
1: realize we were like chilling with lsb in baltimore (laughs) you know what i mean like that's that's hilarious yeah well uh
0: what was it i had gone to nationals on my own in 2005 none of my friends like joe you lived in texas so basically the friends that i went to nationals with all played versus so like they were hanging out playing versus and uh and i was like you know playing magic and they were just like we're at magic nationals playing versus I had, like, a Versus System shirt on, and I got my picture taken with Richard Garfield. It was kind of
1: funny. <laughs>
0: versus System. I, shouldn't I be wearing a Magic shirt?
1: Um, I'm surprised meeting Richard Garfield isn't on your top five.
0: I forgot. I mean, it was such a fleeting moment. It's like, hey, Richard Garfield, can I take my picture with you? And he's like, sure. And I was like, thank you. Bye. That was it. You know, like, what is it supposed to be? I, right. you, know, you never know what to say to people. Like, hey... I like magic. <laughs> yeah,
1: I like... You done made that game. <laughs>
0: yeah. I like that game you made. So yeah, that's our uh, our top 5 lists for the decade. Um probably forgot more than we just realized we forgot, but So uh anything else you wanted to mention?
1: Uh Here's looking forward to 2010. Yeah. Let's hope it's uh Let's hope for the sake of uh being a bunch of old Nostalgic bastards that 2010 has about one third of the changes that 2009 had. Although the changes that happened in 2009 were great, and I want to give a special mention at this point to Plane Chase as being a very awesome thing that Wizards created this year. Um, Let's hope that there isn't so much. More change, at least for the. Give us a year off from all the damn change. Just put yeah. out a couple sets of kick ass, and let us play cards and stuff, and <laughs> like we've been doing. And just don't don't throw us too many more curveballs because yeah, it, it was fun.
0: Are you looking forward to Magic twenty ten? Oh wait, did that already come out?
1: <laughs> wait, what? So so two thousand so m so Magic two thousand eleven comes out comes out in, in, in two thousand. Wait, no, it comes out in 2009. Wait, Magic 11. Wait, wait, M11 is the 11th core set, right? No. No. it's, no, it's the 12th. The, core it's set. the 12th core set. The 11th core set is called Magic 2010, and it came out in 2009. It's not confusing so at all. The 12th core set is called Magic 2011, and it's scheduled for release in 2010.
0: It, it totally makes sense. So, it's not so, confusing. No, at all. it's
1: not. So, Wizards. Good job, and of course, the year that you decide, we're gonna call it uh, Magic 2011, because that's the way Madden does it. The next year, Madden puts out Madden 10. <laughs> 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 they put out, they put out a numbered game. So uh, Madden, We should do that. So Madden puts out Madden 10 or something. Like, Damn it! It was a number. It wasn't a year. <laughs> it was a number. And I thought that was just like the funniest thing that they did that. Like right after Wizards was like, you know, that's a good system they got going on over there. Put, out a, put a year on it. Make it the year after <laughs> the year that it comes out. So people think it's new even though they've seen it at the store for the last six months. <laughs> Holy crap holy crap, this just came out, it's called Magic 2010, it just turned 2010, this must be brand new, I'm going to buy a lot of that, so yeah, good job on that one, you didn't confuse anyone at all, now it's all clear, now it all makes perfect sense, so yeah, so not too many more changes next year, let's not do super ultra mythic rares. Let's not have Common 1 and Common 2. Oh let's not, God. Yeah, let's not have anything weird or confusing. Although, you know what? I'm on to you. Lightning Bolt was not a regularly printed Common. <laughs> I'm sorry.
0: There's no I, way. I must have opened, like, 25 packs and got one Lightning Bolt or something. There's no
1: way that that card was printed at regular Common slot because... I had to, like, beg and steal for, like, the three that, like, I had. <laughs> and I had to, tr- and then I traded them because they were lightning bolts. And nobody got them in their pack, so they wanted mine. <laughs> cool. So, All right, let's
0: go. let's go. Let's go. Let's go. See you in 2010. I I compile a
1: list of my top five resolutions for this year. I declined because I decided that I do not believe in the new year anymore.
0: But at times like these Hopefulness is taint to to hopelessness And I accept that It's time for a change But not in places like this With people like these And my year in list Stopping Stopping on your fingers As you're clinging on to the abyss so put on every winter coat That you own since 98 And every minute Since I count to another awful I cherish the fondness Of day Before I met you I cherish the bond for
1: see here I won't see you because you listen to me I will li- I will have you listen to me more <laughs> next year and hopefully more than you did this year because we'll do more next year than we did this year. Because there are more days that we'll have a podcast next year than there were this year. Because this year, we only had a podcast for so many days, and next year we'll have a podcast for the whole year!